Welcome to Baby Tour Guide's Montessori Babies podcast. I'm your host and baby tour guide, Bianca Solorsano, and for the last decade, I have dedicated myself to helping parents, educators, and caregivers optimize baby development through a Montessori lens. This podcast is all about evolving our Montessori practice to make our time with our sweet babies easier, relaxed, and so much fun. Let's jump into it. Hi guys, welcome to season two, episode 24 of our Montessori Babies podcast. Today's episode is so, so exciting because I had the pleasure of interviewing Gloria Lane from Montessori Mama Life on my show and she spoke all about her journey coming from public school education and venturing into Montessori education. Now she's doing Montessori with her babies and I'm just so, so, so excited to share with you guys our conversation. It was such a good one. So before we dive into that, let's go ahead and start with our quote for today. And because we're talking about us parents, our approach, what we feel like is best for our kids, you'll find all of that out in just a bit when we dive into the interview, but we talk about a lot of that kind of stuff in our conversation. So I thought this quote was just perfect. It is from the wonderful Dr. Montessori. And she said, perhaps a great future leader or a great genius is with us and his power will come from the power of the child he is today. This is the vision that we must have. This quote is so, so perfect because really at the end of the day, so much of what our kids will show us that they're capable of starts with us and our perspective and our approach with them. And so, you know, just having this limitless belief in what they're capable of is really going to be just magic as far as working with them and you know their educational journey. So I also want to mention that I am having so much fun with the wonderful mamas in our Montessori Babies course Facebook group community. It's so fun getting to know each other and getting all the support from each other as we journey through, you know, infancy and toddlerhood, implementing Montessori with our babies and our unique home, you know, with our unique situations, our unique partners and everything. So just the support has just been so wonderful. If you are new to my show, the Montessori Baby Baby's course is my main offering. It has everything you need to implement Montessori at home with your baby, starting at birth all the way through toddlerhood, although I do have plenty of expectant mamas also join to kind of get that info so they have it in their mind as they venture into new parenthood. So if you are looking to join the Montessori Baby's course or check it out, I decided to keep the Montessori Baby's course at our holiday promotion, which is $97. So the the course enrollment is typically 252 and that includes everything that you need to implement Montessori from infancy to toddlerhood. So it is both going to transform your experience because I help you evolve your perspective. So on the other side of it, you'll kind of have this really limitless idea of your child and what they're capable of and the approaches to take within that. You'll have the basics that you need as far as infant development and toddler development goes and then you have it broken down step by step on how to do Montessori in the first six months in their baby baby stage so the newly mobile sitting southern crawling cruising stage and then young toddlerhood so the walking young toddler. So it encompasses everything you need. I also include all of the links to all of the materials I suggest and when to offer them and how to offer them. Also broken down within these same chunks of time. So everything that you need is there. Definitely check it out. I have the course page linked in the show notes so you can check that out for yourself. And then, and that's about it. So 
I first want to talk really quickly about who Gloria is from Montessori Mama Life. So she was initially a first grade public school teacher, and she is now a stay-at-home mom of two children. One is a four-year-old daughter, and the other is a two-year-old son. And so after finding and falling in love with all things Montessori, she's been implementing the philosophy in her home since her daughter was a baby and now homeschools her children using Montessori. Gloria has a bachelor's degree in early childhood and elementary education and a master's degree in literacy education. So she is an educator. It's just a really, really great conversation and I am so, so excited for you guys to hear it. So let's jump into it. Thank you so much for coming on our show, Gloria. I'm so excited to have you. I'm so excited to be here. This is an honor. Thank you. (laughs) So can you start by just sharing a bit as far as how you found Montessori, as well as your educational history, and also what you currently do so our audience can get to know you a bit? Okay. So I'm Gloria, um, and this is my first podcast I've ever spoken on, so I'm very excited to be a part of this. (laughs) Um, Okay. So my background, who I am, how did I get here? Um, This is going to be a bit of a long story, but I feel like my journey to get here is not only an important part of this conversation about how I went from public school to Montessori homeschooling, but an important one because I feel like it echoes so many other public school teachers' experiences. Okay, so um, I wanted to be a teacher since the moment I could answer that question back in preschool when they asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm. Um, I always said that I wanted to be a teacher, specifically a preschool teacher, because I was in preschool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I then spent my entire childhood in this preparation of becoming a teacher. I got good grades. I followed the rules. I went to college. I got my bachelor's degree in early childhood and elementary education, so birth to six grade. Um, I babysat, I nannied, I worked at daycares and summer camps. And after college, I set off on my journey to become a teacher. Um, I moved and got a job at a daycare and worked there for a while until I met my ultimate goal and was hired by a local school district to be a first grade teacher. Mm. Um, I taught in a very low socioeconomic area in first grade um, with a year of second grade thrown in there um, for all seven years of my teaching career. And while I was teaching, I got my master's degree in literacy education. And so while on paper, it felt like I had accomplished that dream, Um, I realized very early on in my career that my dream and the reality of being this public school teacher looked very different. I think most teachers, when you talk to them, their dream is to help change the world, right? They want to grow, they want to help grow and shape young minds, Mm -hmm. and they want to do their part to change the world. And that always seemed like a really solid goal for me. However, after becoming a public school teacher, I soon realized the job would have very little to do with, you know, educating and shaping young minds and a lot more to do working tirelessly to help meet a lot of unmet social emotional needs. Mm. Um, Like I said, it was a very low socioeconomic area with children who had grown up far too fast and who had already dealt with a lot more hardship than many adults I know have dealt with. Yeah, their parents, I mean, they did their very best they could for them, but Often the children would come to school tired, emotionally tired, physically tired, and with just a lot of unmet needs. And, you know, if you think about like the Maslow's hierarchy of those lower needs of food security and safety mm-hmm. and whatnot, they just weren't always being consistently met. So it was really hard to focus on the reading, writing, math, and all those other things 
when children are hungry or when they haven't gotten any sort of connection with their parent or a caregiver due to a variety of different reasons, right? So yeah, it was a lot of that and just like a lot of different scenarios of things that like just absolutely broke my heart day in and day out. And then the other piece of it is that constant top-down pressure, you know, from those above me who have higher pay grades than me, but they don't have that deep understanding of child development or educational theory or experience um, or best teaching practice understanding. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, love to micromanage parts of the day, right? And so honestly, every day I stood in my classroom, I felt like I was a, not to be too dramatic, but like a cog in a wheel of a system that was just continually failing these children. Mm-hmm. You know, teachers want to show up to help shape young minds and change the world. And after teaching for a few years, I felt like I was no longer showing up to change the world. I was showing up every day feeling like I was getting ready to go to a battle, like mm-hmm. a battle with administration and a system that continued to knowingly not do what was best for children and make policies and decisions that went against science and child development so that they could put a band-aid on problems or, you know, to look good or to be on the better side of a dollar. Um, I felt like I was going to battle both with and for my students with being with their inner demons, you know, with all that emotional and psychological baggage they brought with them into my classroom every day that I had to work to bring them out of while still being expected to make sure they pass that next standardized test to continue to improve funding, to pour into programs and materials no one actually needed Mm. instead of the social and emotional support we begged for, for the children and their families of the school community, and then go to battle for my students to fight for their rights, those services and programs and materials that they actually needed. And then I went to battle with myself, having to look myself in the mirror every morning, knowing I was a part, and for these children, a critical part of a system that was continually failing them. And I, I knew I couldn't do that anymore. So during one of my last years where I was going to work every day, feeling all these feelings, I knew I was done. Mm -hmm. And so I began to explore other opportunities outside of public school. And that is when I stumbled upon a Montessori school that was hiring in my area. And so I applied. And at this time in my school, we were doing one of these district funded programs that was about focusing on personalizing education, which sounds great in theory, right? Mm-hmm. And similar to Montessori in theory, but without any of the training or the materials or the resources or the understanding of how just this idea that learning should be personalized. And so we should go forth and do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so in my application to this Montessori school, I wrote about that and I got a call back asking if I would be interested in coming in for an interview. And at that time, I knew nothing about Montessori Mm -hmm. outside of this like quick little moment in an undergrad class. And all I remember about it was that toddlers use real knives. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) as a 19 year old in college, we were all like horrified that that even went on. (laughs) (laughs) And anyway, so... I did a quick Google search of what is Montessori before I went. And um, then I went in for my interview. And before they sat me down, they told me I would start off by going to observe in the classrooms to make sure it was a good fit for me. And that whole observation that I did was something that completely changed my life, not to be too dramatic again. (laughs) Um, I understand. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It was truly... um, one of like the very beginning of this journey and how I ended up here. And so I went to a lower elementary classroom to observe. It was um, a first, second, third grade classroom, obviously. And 
like I said, I was teaching first grade at the time. And so the comparison in my head of what I was currently teaching and where I was currently coming from, and then setting foot into this calm classroom where there was a candle during their circle time and the kids wore slippers and everyone was just being so calm and respectful and focused. And it was just this sense of overwhelming peace and calm that was just like palpable and came over me. The children were so engaged in their work. And honestly, I didn't even understand what they were learning or doing. I just remember seeing this giant bead frame and just all these beautiful materials I'd never seen before. And they had no clue what they were for. This was supposed to be the same age range I was teaching. And I watched the guy give lessons and I had no idea what she was even talking about because I had no idea of any of this stuff. Oh, wow. Um, and I started to feel wildly unqualified to be there. Um, and I almost had the sense of imposter syndrome, like a fish out of water but like a fish that wanted to be in this water, you know? Mm-hmm. And so then I observed in a primary classroom and there was so much joy and it was very different than a lower elementary classroom. So, I mean, I guess if you've ever been in a Montessori classroom, you know what it's like and the real feeling behind being in a place that magical. But I really feel like the Montessori magic was around me that day. And so I did the interview and I definitely bombed it because I had no idea what I was even talking about. I was at a loss for words because I was so blown away by what I had just witnessed. And I went back to my school and I said to myself, I can't do this anymore. This is not what it's supposed to look like. I just Mm -hmm. saw what it's supposed to look like. Yeah. So fast forward another year or two. And after my husband and I had gotten married, we got pregnant. And I knew that once I had my daughter, I needed to leave. Mm-hmm. I needed to leave. You know, they say you can't pour from an empty cup and I couldn't no longer show up and choose to pour from an empty cup. Mm-hmm. I couldn't continue to show up for a system day in and day out that was failing children. And so after I had my daughter, I did my maternity leave and I left. I actually remember on my last day of teaching, after I packed all my stuff in my car, I was driving home and my mom called me to ask me how I felt. And honestly, I didn't feel any emotion. I didn't feel happy about it. I didn't feel sad. I had no feeling about it. And she asked me what my next steps were. And I was like, I... I don't know. I know I want to teach children and work with children. I know that this is what I want, but it's not like this, not in the system, not in the way that it currently is. There has to be a different way. So I had my daughter and when she was about five months old, I remember I was trying to figure out the best way to fit into my new role as a stay-at-home mom. I went looking for resources about how to best support her and her development And I ended up on Audible looking for an audio book about more or less how we should be filling our days together. Mm -hmm. And I stumbled across the book Montessori from the start. And I stopped dead in my tracks. I knew nothing of Montessori at this point, except for what I had seen. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't realize it was anything more than a school or an educational philosophy. Mm -hmm. So I thought like, you just send your children to a Montessori school and that's what Montessori is. And I didn't realize that the Montessori philosophy can transcend into the home. So anyway, I read the title and I was like, huh, I wonder what they mean by like from the start. Like, do they mean babies? Like, can I bring that same magic I saw and felt into my home with my own child this early on? Mm -hmm. So I bought it and devoured it on the same day. And I had so many feelings. I felt 
A, like I had done everything up to that point wrong, which wasn't the case at all. Besides the fact that there is no wrong, so much of my own parenting philosophy and mom gut and, you know, what we were doing was really aligned to the philosophy at home. But I also felt the sense of this is it. This is how you bring that magic into your home. And this is what I want for my children and for my family. All of my ideals, what I thought about child development and those early years should look like and feel like this. I felt like it was reaching out from the pages and I was transformed. And so from there, (laughs) you know, this was back in 2019. And I'm really glad I found this idea of Montessori at home before the world shut down, Mm. because it really made me so much more at peace with being at home and our rhythm and just focusing on being present and involving my baby in their home environment and in the day in and day out practical life moments of our home, because I didn't have all that external pressure to go and do and be in every place that offers something for children in the community. So fast forward to now, (laughs) now that I'm kind of giving my whole background, my daughter is now four, that same daughter. And 20 months later, um, I had a son who is now almost two and a half. And I stay at home practicing Montessori in our home. And we also made that decision for me to start homeschooling our children using Montessori. And so we've been on that journey for over a year now. And that is where I'm at. (laughs) Wow. Well, first of all, thank you so much for sharing all of that, because I feel like (laughs) It's so fun to see how people found Montessori. And then I think one thing that's very consistent is, you know, the discovery of the Montessori piece. A lot of times it's the moments with like the age that you already know, you know, or if you've been exposed, like how you were saying the lower L classroom. And like for me, my introduction was similarly to you. I had observed in a Montessori school and what stuck out to me was the toddler classroom and how, you know, like the, they were pouring from glass pitchers and I had you know, a little boy had like pulled out a chair for another friend and helped them sit down in this just like really peaceful kind of way. And I had also been a nanny before. So it's just so cool to hear how people come to Montessori. So thank you so much for sharing that. I feel like you have such a unique perspective to offer our audience because you already worked with children, you know, and in the public school setting. And a lot of our audience will implement Montessori at home and then transition into, you know, the public school system. You know, everyone, you know, has their own own journey, their own educational journeys and such. But like with the podcast, the goal is to, you know, just give parents like the tools and the empowerment to to support their baby's earliest years at home. But because you were a public school teacher, I'm so excited to pick your brain. And now that you're experiencing Montessori at home, it definitely provides you with a unique perspective. So to start, I, th- I know you just kind of covered what initially drew you to Montessori, but do you have have any other, you know, tips as far as your public school experience and your monastery experience to share with our audience? So after reading that book and then reading a few others after it, and also finding another podcast about doing Montessori at home, I felt like so much of it resonated with me, not interrupting children to help develop that focus and concentration, you know, showing respect, being intentional and preparing the space for your baby's needs, allowing your child to be a part of your and their world through having them be near you and eventually inviting them to be involved in the practical life tasks around the home. Mm-hmm. But also in those baby years, especially early on, involving them and leading with respect by narrating your care tasks and what you're doing to them and bringing them into that. You know, all those things I felt already aligned with my understanding of child development. And so it felt like a very natural fit. Before finding that first book, I was looking for audiobooks trying to figure 
figure out what was I supposed to be doing with my baby all day. Mm -hmm. And I really felt like this gap in my understanding as someone who really likes to know what they're supposed to be doing, very type A. Mm -hmm. I felt like there was a gap in my understanding and a gap in me having the answers, you Mm -hmm. know, in having that reassurance that like, yeah, I was doing the right thing and I could even be doing less and be okay. Mm -hmm. I realized I was actually trying to do too much. I was initially unintentionally overstimulating my baby, trying to plan and fit all of these things I felt were important into every moment of the day, like pulling out spice jars for her to smell for that sense of smell and playing music and singing and constantly being in her face talking because language is important and reading books and doing all the things I thought I needed to be doing in like an hour wake window along with feeding and diaper changes and with this, you know, using Montessori at home. I was able to slow down, especially Mm -hmm. those caretaking routines and feel okay and good about slowing down and being more intentional about that time. And then also in preparing the space by taking away a lot of the stuff, you know, donating things that didn't isolate skills, or I thought were great initially because Amazon sold me on it when really it was one of those toys marketed as educational, but is really overstimulating. Mm -hmm. Although, I mean, I was really into like natural toys and I was really into, you know, more passive toys than active toys. The the toys that you have to interact with for them to do something with. But what I did really need to do was pare down what we had out in the space and be intentional about the number of materials and toys and the variety of them to meet different needs. For sure. Well, you just shared so many amazing <laughs> tips, first of all, because there's a lot of what I talk about on here. That's that's incredible. I mean, I think that it's so fun, you know, when you see the transition in an environment, when you come to Montessori and finding peace in the day-to-day just kind of existence, uh-huh. you know, in the flow of your specific home with your specific children and you know, because also every child every home is different, but every child is different. And so, you know being able to settle in the slow in a, I guess, a time of life that's already a little bit more fast paced, right? So that's just amazing. I thank you so much for sharing that. So what do you feel like are the biggest differences between your approach with your kids in the classroom um, when you were teaching your first graders and doing Montessori at home with your kids? Yeah, it's it's slightly different because my students were in the second plane of development because they were six and seven year olds and my own kids are two and four. So very much in the first plane, but they're definitely like three, I would say, major differences that I can think of that kind of are not age dependent but just different approaches. The first being the differences in freedom. My student's school day was scheduled to like the nanosecond with different bells for different transitions and different learning centers that they had to go between with like a lack of choice really in those centers. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a lot of hurrying and choice making for them that is very much the opposite of the way my Montessori home runs and our homeschool. We are now much more focused on slowing down, allowing them to have choice in many things throughout their day holding space for however long a transition may take. Mm -hmm. And in our homeschool, of course, the freedom of work and seating and time to work on each material, which is just the polar opposite of my approach in the classroom, where every moment followed a very neat color-coded schedule, which is so me, if you know me. (laughs) 
If you're a new parent hoping to implement Montessori at home, you may be surprised to know that you will be spending the majority of your days fostering independence with your baby. Yes, even more than the Montessori toys, materials, activities, and furniture that you see on social media. And fostering independence is the easiest and quickest way to transform your parenting experience, bringing peace to your parenting as you optimize your baby's growth during their most crucial years of development. Plus, fostering independence is the most misunderstood Montessori concept for babies. That is why I am teaching my Montessori workshop on fostering independence from infancy to toddlerhood. In this 30-minute workshop, you will learn what it truly means to foster independence the Montessori way, plus you'll get the exact steps on how to foster independence with our non-mobile babies, our sitting, slithering, crawling, and cruising babies, and our young toddlers. This workshop is usually $9, but because my goal is to support you as much as possible, I am gifting it to you totally free. So, if you're ready to transform both your experience and baby's experience during their most crucial time in their developmental journey, click the free workshop link in the show notes. And now, back to our show. Also a requirement and a sign of effectiveness within the public school system. I would say the second is how I dealt with behavior. Like I said, there were a lot of unmet social emotional needs in my classroom. And we were taught to, you know, use systems of rewards and punishments with them that always felt a little off to me and never really sat well with me. But it was one of those things when you don't know better, you can't do better. And I didn't know better. You know, I started teaching at 21 years old, fresh out of college. I only had so many tools in my tool belt um, at my disposal. And you just sort of do what everybody else is doing. And now that I have my own children and I have learned a lot more about that intrinsic motivation and, you know, teaching the values you want to instill in them through modeling and how we speak to them in a really conscious way and really getting to understand, empathize, and hold space for their feelings. You know, as a teacher, I always understood the power in building a strong relationship with each of my students, especially the ones um, who really struggle with those unmet social emotional needs, where I knew that when I got down on their level and I spoke with them and I really got to form a strong bond and relationship with them, that would really go a long way in helping us to connect in those hard times. So that part made sense to me going into my parenting, but the way of actually going about it by understanding conscious parenting, you know, it really makes the difference and is far more respectful than just having those strong bonds. And the third, I would say, is the power of observation. Um, Using that as well as their development to curate their learning space or their play space, you know, to meet their developmental needs individually instead of just blindly following a curriculum and then sprinkling in that one-on-one time with those kids who needed the extra help or needed more challenge separately as an add-on instead of that one-on-one time being, you know, that chunk of the learning (laughs) being the learning. I could go on about this for a long time, but for the sake of time, I think that's probably (laughs) Well, first, I want to say that the work that that you did in the classroom, I'm sure you made such a big difference, even in just the moments of connection and such. I don't have personal experience with it, but my dad's been a, a public high school teacher for a lot of years, ever since, you know, since far before I was born. I think he's like 45 years in now or something like that. But I, you know, remember similar things as far as like the connection and just, you know, the difference that that you guys have made. So I first want to say like, that's amazing. I'm sure you did such amazing work in the classroom. And so would you mind sharing any teaching techniques that you used with your children in the classroom that you use now with your kids at home? 
Yeah. So there's actually a few little nuggets that I took from my classroom. So whenever I feel this certain level of frustration within myself or this inner urge to yell because my toddler is being a toddler, um, I start <laughs> to sing my directions, specifically transitions. Um, I feel like when I'm singing, I'm getting that inner release out of myself, but I'm also being heard because now my tone is changing and the pitch is changing. And you're like, what is she singing about? What's happening? Yeah, it's um, like a quick energy it, changer. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It gets their attention. And I used to do it all the time in the classroom. And now I find myself doing it a lot with my own kids. Um, there was a year I shared a wall and a door with the assistant principal at my school. And she could hear me just through the wall all day. And she was like, you are always singing. <laughs> and now I'm always finding myself singing these songs that you just made up. It's amazing. <laughs> Which just shows how chaotic it was that I was always singing. Um, <laughs> you know, it was always these certain songs I make up and, you know, I'd go back to it again and again. And I don't remember them now, but I would be singing and she would just walk in the room as I was singing to them and just start singing along with all of us. And it's just, it's a really powerful thing, you know, taking a deep breath and calming your body and getting your, your mental state and your, you know, your whole body regulated is important, but sometimes you still need that release. And I find that singing just gives that release and also allows them to hear you differently in that. Um, Another thing I would say is not interrupting, which is obviously a Montessori thing, but there's so much power in what. Um, is known in the teacher world as wait time, where you give children time to really think or to work on something before correcting or giving an answer, because that is where so many of those aha moments lie. You know, so often I would see parents jump in to correct their kids as soon as they got something wrong or they didn't know the answer right away, which never allows them to see their own mistakes and learn from those mistakes on their own. And that's where learning happens. That is where you see magic in learning. And so not interrupting a child's thought process and allowing children to work through things is it's a very Montessori thing, like I said, but it's also something that I really feel was such an important part of being an educator in general. Mm -hmm. So now when my kids are playing with a toy or doing their homeschool work cycle, I sit on my hands and I try to blend into the wallpaper as they say, Mm -hmm. to not take away from their own inner thoughts and workings and to really let the work because of how wonderfully Montessori materials Mm -hmm. materials are in their self-correction component to really let that themselves and the work bring them to the answer or the completion of the task. And then the other thing I can think of is having a prepared environment. Um, I used to always talk to my students about things having a home. And actually, this has always been like my life motto to be like Marie Kondo in a way. (laughs) (laughs) But to make sure everything in my home or in my classroom has a place or a home, which is so important with with second plane children because they tend to have things all over the place. Um, And to really make them responsible for keeping things in their home and making sure everything had a home. And so that's something about Montessori that really resonates with me that prepared environment because, you know, a lot of things can go very easily missing if you're not continuing to instill those values of having a prepared environment in your classroom. And now in my home, I just feel for me, it's such a natural thing to create homes that make sense for all the things my children need and use throughout our day in our home. I feel like you gave such good examples as far as like how you mentioned in um, when you were talking about how you found Montessori and you were talking about how much some of the, the principles aligned with how you already felt as a parent. 
I feel like you just gave such amazing examples, you know, <laughs> as far as how you were already teaching some Montessori principles even before you found Montessori officially. And I also kind of feel like it aligns so well with because Montessori, you know, is aimed at supporting child development, you know, and obviously when you become an educator, there's like there's a component of studying that. And so it's just so wonderful how you infused everything in your classroom experience. And now you're using those wonderful principles with your children. So it's amazing. <laughs> It's not these like black and white worlds, the public school sector and and Montessori, you know, I mean, they're both educating children. So there are things that are going to cross over, but it's going to be what is best practice and what is best for children. And I think those outliers in the public school setting are really those things that need to be looked at a little bit more intentionally about how, you know, where they come from, what they're rooted in and how we can make maybe do better with those. Absolutely. So do you mind my asking if you wouldn't mind sharing if you plan on Montessori homeschooling beyond preschool years? Gosh, I don't really know. It depends on the day you ask me. Um, (laughs) There are days where I think it's just the most amazing, beautiful thing in the world that I get to take all the things that I've personally learned and spend time learning and bettering myself to become this teacher that I always wanted for my children, getting the joy of getting to watch those aha moments in my children. It just feels very full circle and very self-fulfilling for me personally, but it's also this beautiful experience of getting to spend so much extra time together Mm -hmm. and doing something I'm passionate about with them and, you know, bringing that joy and that love of learning to my children. Mm -hmm. And it feels so right internally in that I feel like we could do this forever. I feel like I have like this wonderful vision (laughs) of us in like this little house on the prairie scenario doing school and going on adventures and learning in the world and baking bread. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to bake bread, but maybe I'll learn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the same better. It's on my list. <laughs> my next life, you know, I'm becoming homesteaders and just like this whole vision. Yeah. And like, it just really like feels right. And then there are days like always in anything you do with other human beings where you feel like maybe we're not going to keep doing this after this year you know (laughs) um there's a lot of big feelings like I said they're two and four there are days my children um are feeling every single one of their feelings and the coffee isn't strong enough and I haven't slept enough and I feel like I'm with my children just a little bit too much that day and I could use a break and I can't imagine doing this with my kids beyond these years. But also I do feel so incredibly privileged to be able to be on this journey with them. And so to answer your question, because I don't think I really answered it. I just kind of rambled on as I do. <laughs> um, the answer is, I don't know the answer. <laughs> it's, a really, yeah, it's a really hard one. I would love to say forever, you know, we'd have all these extra days and hours and years together, but you know, life has so many ebbs and flows and it's hard to know what will be happening tomorrow some days, let alone oh, yeah. down the road. So we're taking it one day, one year, and one moment at a time over here. <laughs> that is awesome. I think that's a really good tip or advice piece for, <laughs> I feel like I'm in a very similar boat. My mind goes every which way when I think about what we're going to do with our son for, for schooling options. He's only right. a year and a half right now. So I'm just kind of doing Montessori at home and I'm trained until three. So after that, it's a giant question mark. So I get you. <laughs> right. And you know, parenting has so many different seasons that each season feels so drastically different internally. Mm-hmm. For parents, I feel like, yeah, how could you know what the next season is going to bring until you're in it. And and you don't know you're even in it usually until you're in it. Yeah. (laughs) 
And for planners, for planner minds, it's like, wow, this is like a really nice little lesson, you know, (laughs) of like just going with the flow and, you know. (laughs) I really, I have to be very intentional about going with the flow. I do like him talking and present like maybe that's my like go-to, but it's absolutely not. I am very, like I said, type A planner. Don't like to just like fly by the seat of my pants. And so trying to slow down and be intentional about how we use our time and just like calming my whole body is something like I physically have to work on each and every day on myself. I mean, that's amazing. That's such incredible just advice to share with other parents. So thank you for sharing that. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) So do you have any transition tips for parents who are doing Montessori at home with their kids for early childhood and then plan to transition to their local public school? Kind of like I mentioned, we have parents who go, you know, they'll do Montessori homeschooling, they'll transition into a Montessori school, or they'll transition, you know, to where their kids are, are locally met at a public school. So do you have tips for the public school families? Yeah, it's it's a hard question to answer. First of all, because I obviously just presented public school so well. Um, <laughs> but also, you know, because every family and child and situation in school is so different and unique. I mean, I'm just speaking of my personal experience. That's not the experience for everyone and for every situation in every school. But I think What will help this transition the most is preparing your own mindset as a parent, you know, keeping in the back of your brain, knowing that most teachers go into this profession because they love children and they want to do what's best for them. But Mm -hmm. also they often have, you know, hurdles and roadblocks that are in their way that they can't control. So Mm -hmm. understanding that your role is almost a form of partnership with your with your child's teacher and helping your child to grow and thrive in the environment and having that line of open and honest communication, letting the teacher know your family background and how you do things at home and your own expectations. Also, when you're learning more about your child's new school and the classroom and the teacher, and if you come across something that you don't agree with or doesn't align with Montessori or your family values, lead with curiosity in trying to learn about why things are the way they are. Maybe you can provide suggestions if you see um, something that can be more Montessori friendly way of doing things that you know can work. But also if it's a non-negotiable for you, your child or your family, you can also be kind, but firm. Don't Mm -hmm. be afraid to be your child's advocate. Um, Model that respect, of course, for your child and in the way you approach the situation, but also you, your child's needs are important. And so public schools are big places and there's a lot going on. And so, you know, kids needs can get lost in the shuffle. And so you being that advocate for them and you explaining your expectations is going to be an important part of that. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing those. I feel like I was kind of like taking, I'm literally going to (laughs) take notes after when I, when I publish the show, because that's a really, really important um, little pieces of info that you shared there. So thank you. So you have an Instagram I do. Where you are just so amazing at sharing, you know, tips and inspiration. And as far as your Montessori homeschooling journey with your babies. um, (laughs) (laughs) No, you're amazing at it. I always look like, gosh, like this is so great. So your tagline is imperfectly conscious mama. So I love it. Would you mind expanding on what you mean by that? So when I went to write my bio, I want to add something about, you know, being a gentle parent or now being more conscious parent as I learn more about parenting. But it felt disingenuous to write that I was a conscious parent because no one is perfect. Am I always the picture of conscious parenting? Absolutely not. You know, do I do my best to show up and learn more and try my best? 
Yes. And do I still fall short? Also, yes. <laughs> I think it's so easy to go online, especially on social media and see people label themselves in different categories and assume that they are experts and are perfect examples of that label all the time. But I, I don't feel like I can fully own that type of category. I'm not an expert. I'm still learning. Um, it's a goal in every act interaction with my children. But also I get triggered and I get mad and I yell and I can recognize why it happens and how to fix it. And I can apologize to my children when it happens, but it still will inevitably happen again at some point because parents are not these magical people who only sing songs when they get mad, like I talked about, (laughs) but we're real people who sometimes struggle to control our emotions, but also can have the understanding and emotional maturity to work on it and to apologize to those we hurt when it happens. The other night, my daughter called me into her room to tuck her in for like the 12th time while my son was at the same time in the middle of having an all out fit about needing to go to bed. Mm. Um, And I was feeling very triggered, especially as it was the end of a very long day. And I walked in and I don't remember exactly what I said, but I was pretty angry internally and I did not leave with kindness at all. Mm. And after I left, I immediately heard her crying. So I went back in the room and I got down on her level and she told me, I didn't like the way you spoke to me. That hurt my feelings. And I apologized and we hugged, but I will say in that moment, I was so proud of her because she was able to tell me that I hurt her and how it made her feel. And while I felt so upset with myself for my reaction, I know that this way of speaking to our children and treating our children is so worth it because of just the amount of you know, emotional awareness and the ability to stand up for themselves when somebody talks to them a way that they don't feel like they should be talked to. And it's just so amazing to watch. So yeah, I try to be a conscious parent, but I am an imperfect one. I feel like that's the most relatable thing though. I feel like (laughs) conscious parenting is a very, while, you know, the generalized approach has been around, it's a newer term like on, you know, that you'll find. Right. I was a very gentle parent, but then I was told that's not it. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah it's um, always evolving. <laughs> and whatever it is, you know, you just want to have that strong connection with your children, respond mm-hmm. to them, respect to them. Mm-hmm. And it just aligns so perfectly with Montessori. But honestly, I couldn't give a definition to it. So how can I put that I am a conscious parent when I'm not even sure the actual definition? I just try my best to show up in the way that I would hope anybody would show up for me. That's amazing. First, I feel like the story that you just told is the the night you got frustrated with your four-year-old and then how your four-year-old responded. It just shows how beautifully, you know, you've been reeling back and connecting and that's amazing. And I feel like it's so relatable because, you know, even parents who have been parents for a long time, teachers who have been teachers for a long time, like at the end of the day, we're human. And especially in the parenting side of things, it's a 24 hour thing. Like <laughs> that yeah. was the biggest shock to me was like, I, I a shock. Know, yeah, <laughs> it's like shock. always, <laughs> always, you know, whereas before, like when I was in the classroom, you know, you're there all day, you go home, like you, you go home, you have dinner, you know, you relax for a second and then you go back to the classroom and it's like, okay, well, I have like a little bit more in my cup. That's cool. But as a parent, you know, sometimes you're pulling from an empty cup, <laughs> very low <laughs> cup. So yeah. Yeah, you're not getting all your needs met all the time. No. (laughs) So that's just the most relatable thing. And I feel like it's so beautiful that in those moments, you can show also how 
beautifully you're doing. So thank you <laughs> for sharing that. <laughs> so do you have any tips for parents who just discovered Montessori? We do have a lot of parents who are very new to Montessori, who are expectant parents, um, who are listeners to our show and who are looking to implement Montessori at home with their families. Yeah. So I would say, first of all, there is a lot of information out there and you don't need it all at once. It's like Mm -hmm. when they say you try to drink from a fire hose, right? You can't, Mm -hmm. you can't do it all. You can't buy it all. You can't do it all. You can't Mm -hmm. know it all. So I would say focus on starting with respect, kind of going back to our last conversation, right? Mm -hmm. That would be the best way to start because it really is at the core of the Montessori philosophy. So how do you focus on respect in your home? It depends on their age, but If you have a baby, you know, speaking to them, like I said, before you touch or move them, moving them slowly, when you're doing caretaking tasks to them about talking about what you're doing to their body and treating their body with respect by moving slowly and gently. You know, I read one somewhere that they said, pretend like you're also like, if you were taking care of somebody who was elderly that you didn't really know so well, like Mm -hmm. you would treat them with such kindness and respect and like talk through with them what you're doing. And you should treat babies exactly the same way way because they're not these empty people. They are full and whole people in the same way an elderly person is a full and whole person, right? So yeah, so don't rush through the task to get to the next, but focus on that being the task, that caretaking routine, right? Um, If your child finds themselves focusing on an object during that or something in the room, stop talking and respect their need to concentrate on that thing in the moment. If you have a toddler or an older child, you know, respecting their desire and their need, because it's a real deep need to be where you are and to be a part of your family and your home by inviting them to participate in daily household tasks like putting in a load of laundry, taking things out of the dishwasher, wiping up spills, helping in the kitchen, you know, all those things that we see on social media, mm-hmm. but like you don't have to, they don't have to be doing the whole laundry cycle. They yeah. can just be throwing the dirty clothes in. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where they usually start. Like my children, the second that they were able to pull themselves up, pull themselves up to the dishwasher and just start pulling things out. And the way that they pull their toys out and other things out and make a mess with it, instead they're pulling it out and they're handing it to you. And now we're learning about doing the dishwasher together. You need to start by inviting your child to be an important part of the space and work around your home. And then you need to observe them in that space. What do they need now to make that space? And that's tasks more functional for them. And so once you're observing your child in that space, then you can decide what you might need to buy. If you need to buy something or make something or adjust something, bring something into the space or take something out of the space. And that accessibility piece for that toddler age is the most respectful way we can treat them. Um, And I think that that is like a really solid place to start because all those other things are just like other things, but the real heart and the meat of it all is that respect. And those are just some ways you can do that. Absolutely. Thank you so much for saying that because I feel like that is exactly also where I encourage people to start. And also in that same sense, it doesn't cost any money to do that. And there are some really beautiful Montessori pieces of like furniture and toys. And I definitely recommend those if you have it in your budget. But if you don't, it doesn't mean that you can't do those things. It doesn't mean that you can't do Montessori in the home because it all starts where you just said respect and inclusion. (laughs) You don't know which of those like maybe more expensive pieces are actually needed for your home until you take the time to invite them and observe them in that space. Maybe you don't need you know, a learning tower. Maybe you just need a step stool. Mm -hmm. Um, 
You know, maybe you don't need that fancy, whatever it is you see, maybe you just need something that you already have in your home somewhere else that you can move into that space. Um, what I also wanted to say that I forgot about is you have a beautiful course <laughs> that, that also I think is really, first of all, the way you speak on there is just like so kind and gentle. I think if I was a new parent, I would take a lot of calm and peace in learning from you mm-hmm. in that way. But after like listening to you on there, I think that you give like a really, solid way for parents to learn this information without it being super overwhelming and like this overload um, where you feel like, like I felt after reading that book where I was like, I'm doing everything wrong. How do I change everything? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. So that course I think definitely is like worth an investment. If you're feeling like this is something you really want to do for your family, but you're not sure where, where to start. And you started those, you know, those first steps in your own home of how to do it. And now you're like, okay, now what? I think that's like the perfect next step. Thank you for sharing that. What I love about, you know, the content that you share on your Instagram, which I will have linked below for everyone. So you guys can go find her, but it's very relatable. It's relatable Montessori parenting info and inspo That just, you know, if you're new to Montessori or you're experienced in Montessori, you'll feel like, you know, you found a solid place to to connect with someone. So definitely check that out. I will have that linked below. (laughs) So lastly, for a quick rapid fire question to end our show, what is your current favorite part of your day with your kids? So I've, I don't know how quick I can be because it's me, but um, I found that with every season in parenting, I've had different favorite parts of the day and of our daily rhythm. But right now in this season, I would say our time homeschooling together, it is me getting to share my passion and what I love with my children with, while getting to watch them grow and flourish in a space that I created that is filled with things that bring them immense joy and spark their curiosity and their love of learning. And that is just like my ultimate goal kind of scenario for me and our family. And like I said to my mom in the car, right? Um, I still wanted to be able to work with children, but just out of the system in a different way. And I found now that this is my different way. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that and coming on our show and all of this info I'm sure is going to be just so incredibly helpful to the families in our community. So thank you for coming on. And thank you for having me. This has been so fun. I was so nervous because um, like I said, I tend to ramble on a lot. And so I (laughs) kind of lose my train of thought a lot, but thank you for having me. (laughs) Of course. And I totally understand. Um, I react (laughs) the exact same way. And that was our interview with Gloria from Montessori Mama Life. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. I had so much fun picking her brain and I felt like the conversation was really, really helpful. So definitely check out her resources. I will have all of her information linked in the show notes or her website, Instagram, anywhere you can find her will be linked in the show notes. And that is about it. So thank you so, so much for listening to season two, episode 24 of our Montessori Babies podcast. And I will catch you in our next episode. Bye. Hey, it's Bianca, your baby tour guide here, hopping back in to say thank you again for listening to this episode of our Montessori Babies podcast. If you found this episode helpful, I would absolutely love if you would screenshot this episode and share it in your stories and tag me at baby tour guide. Also, leaving a review is really helpful in helping other parents and caregivers find our show. Dr. Montessori said, the greatness of the human personality begins at the hour of birth and you as their parent and guide or caregiver are just the perfect person for that job. I'm so, so honored to be even a small part on your journey. And just remember that we're in this together. 